live for another episode of the Real Life Game Changers. Yeah, this is the podcast which we bring to you. So we're bringing you not only just the latest of the market information, but also the people who are changing the game in the marketplace. So we have somebody who has joined us many times on these podcasts. Uh, Adele, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, for those that don't know Adele, she is handling around 150 million pounds worth of money in a suitcase. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, not in a suitcase, but in the world of lending. Yeah, so um, many people in the real life community uh, are using Adele for their property money needs. And we're going to get into it this evening. So if you're watching this live, put hashtag live. If you're watching it on the replay, put hashtag replay. We want to give some goodies away. So we want to give some merchandise away for the people who, who want to qualify for that. You literally just uh, share share this stream, wherever it is that you're watching it, whatever platform you're watching it on, and um, let us know that you've done that. And also tag at least 10 people. So once you've done that, you will then just go into a prize draw and someone will be picked and a winner will be contacted to where you want us to send the goodies. And in fact, I mean, I don't know the team are going to handle this, but they probably even send you a list of choice of what you can choose. But right now, let's take it to the focus, which is on everyone's mind always, Adele. You know what's on everyone's <laughs> mind always? Interest rates. <laughs> Money. Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is Christmas. It is Christmas time. But um, what we want to do is we want to discuss what's going on in the money market. Yeah, what's going on with banks? What's going on with interest rates? What's going on with property deals? What refinances uh, can people look at getting? So, guys, if you have any questions to do with money lending around property business, property market, then uh, please do start typing them in, so we'll get through as many as we can this evening. So, give us give us a synopsis. You know what what's your view that's happened in the year 2023 has really much changed no i think it's the same animal it's just packaged differently if i could think of a better analogy i think the pain that we are experiencing let's call it inflation and higher interest rates has been released slowly rather than ripping the blaster off they've done it slowly i know the interest rates rise feel um, quite drastic but they have they needed to do it much faster than they did and I think that's in a, in a funny way it's prolonged the pain and made it become more palatable in, in, a, in a strange way because um, people have just adjusted and evolved the important thing to know is that the banks have have money they have liquidity to lend and that's that's the most important part when it comes to the things that we do that there is a willingness to lend and there is the availability to lend um, there's a difference between when you look at nationwide, for example, and their interest rates and you're looking at the base rate and the sector that we're in, and it tends to filter uh, much more slowly through to the, the sector that we're in because it is much more specialist and the type of lenders that we use. For example, bridging lenders, their rates haven't really moved in the last five years. They may have become stricter with criteria and they may have brought the loan to GDV down, for example, but the rates are pretty much the same. They have become stricter with underwriting, but the rate is the same. Whereas Shawbrook money, for example, has increased, but that had to increase because that was at 4.3. <laughs> so 
Yeah, so just for anyone listening, you know, depending on what stage of your business journey you may be at. So like the thing is with bridging loan, it's obviously the rate was always higher anyway. So the margins were, you know, built in, so to say. So nothing's really had to change. But um, I remember because I, I, I had a statement come through not long ago and it just reminded me in 2017, I locked in a rate. 2017 of like 4.8 there was another one i locked in at 5.2 these were when they were much much lower yeah you know and some mortgage products you could get two percent you know but i was always working it out at six percent anyway as a stress test and then we were like yeah we'll lock things in long term uh, a bit longer i think what's killed a lot of investors are the ones that were making deals work at only two percent yeah and now when all these are coming around to refinance Obviously, it's just if you deal only just scrape the barrel at 2%, you're in a little bit of trouble, right? Absolutely. You need you need quite a lot of headroom. I think if you are managing multiple tenants, with, which a lot of these models are multiple tenants, you need to give yourself plenty of headroom. The secret to every business is cash flow. It's profit and cash flow. And as long as it keeps flowing, <laughs> it's flowing in the right direction, you, you will sustain. But you have to be able to make a profit as well. Otherwise, there is no point to doing it um <clears throat> what's happened with interest rates increasing is it has also increased rent sadly for the people who are renting it's increased their rent so the cost of living is increasing all these other things that, that are impacted by it so increasing the interest rate has cooled the market it's not cooled the market as much as it should normally do because inflation is much more complex now um and as a result of that investors are that they are they have got higher costs but they're also able to attract higher rents which is then linked into the value so in a strange way this is what's allowed it to keep on rumbling on it hasn't ground to a halt like it did 2010 2006 completely different issue it's it's evolved it's got faster yeah it has it has got faster it's evolved it's essentially the same thing it's just got a different outfit on it's it's the same yeah. thing so let, let's discuss both sides of the sword so to say so there's one side of it maybe a people who are not in the game or maybe they were kind of only dabbling in the game and um now they're probably putting the brakes on let's just let's just say that for now yeah but then the other side of it is are the ones that have kept going and uh i think we have to add a little bit of logic in here of yeah there was a lot of hype in the news and there always is in the news no matter what's going yeah. on I mean, let's face it, those had like, what is the news there for? The news is to get people's eyeballs. Yeah, so of course, they're going to put stuff that grabs people's attention. That's what it's designed to do. And I think people forget that and sometimes get like uh, dragged into all the dramatization of it. Uh, but like we've already established, nothing really changed. But, but like, what can we tell the people listening, Adele? what what can we give them to you know satisfy that left brain you know the analytic brain that says well yes the interest rates have gone higher and the bills are higher so a lot of people out there saying property deals don't work i mean number one obviously you need to be trained properly and coached properly but what can we do to like you know settle one's uh mind that might be in a little bit of state I, of uh, paralysis i think for me <coughs> as long as you do your due diligence 
you assess the market that you want to invest in whatever area that might be whatever property type that might be nobody has a crystal ball about interest rates they're probably going to settle in about 12 months but i said that 18 months ago and they didn't <laughs> so it you know everybody would be millionaires if they billionaires if they could predict that it's a very complex issue but for me as long as you do your due diligence and you allow yourself enough margin um property has always been a long-term goal it's always a long-term investment and there are peaks and troughs within the market and there has been since the property market began there will always be and that's why the long-term goal is is really the aim if you were to if your strategy is to sell then obviously you need to be selling on a high not on a low but if you are holding providing your business makes a profit and there is enough margin within that profit you can sustain the, the higher interest rates for example um we are at the bottom we're at the bottom of one of the cycles at the minute so it will start to increase again slowly it may start to tighten up a little bit more but you are going to start to see the advantages again probably over the next five years i'd say and adele what about what are banks looking for you know because i just want you to maybe give people an idea of how they can structure their business because you know i've got many properties in one company where <laughs> can't believe I missed this actually it was actually base rate plus five percent that was the deal mm. yeah and obviously 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 at the time I was basically only paying to save five percent but now I'm paying like ten yeah. percent and and I receive a letter from the bank saying uh based on your rents like this don't fit our lending criteria anymore now they give me 12 months to obviously to do that but obviously they also know that I've got a lot of other properties that you know can foot the foot the bill even if it's not fitting the criteria. Mm -hmm. So what is it banks are looking for and what are some of the what are some of the cool strategies people should be looking to do or build into leveraging? You single lets the single lets have started to work again and they haven't changed the stress test. The percentage within the stress stress has, has, has changed. So instead of them stressing at five percent having to stress at five plus two at 125 percent so they've added another two percent into it it's got higher um <clears throat> the five-year deals are always stressed at the pay rate so whatever the pay rate is is the stress test at plus 125 or 140 depending on the asset class the the, the best way to, to sadly is to increase rents and i say sadly it's not sadly to landlords but this is what is driving rent increases and rent, rents are increasing all over they they have to do and it's not necessarily driven by landlord greed because i do read a lot of really negative press about landlords which upsets me a lot because i know a lot of very good genuine landlords that, What's that so just bad about sorry sorry what was that well, what's so bad about the rents going up well it's just it's just more difficult for um for people to afford it so when it, when you're talking about the cost of living um the cost of living really is is energy prices um fuel petrol um which is starting to creep back up again and then you've got your gas and electric and it's those things and food has gone up as well a lot of that is linked to brexit as well as some other issues um and then you've got sorry but so is wages right yeah it's not going up in line with with the cost of living though because it can't do i mean energy prices have gone through the roof um the reason rents are increasing is because you're talking about i'm not talking about are you talking about minimum wages not gone up because 
<coughs> yeah, because wages have gone up. Like they have, but what, what's, what's pushing rent increases is demand. Because what you've got to appreciate is if, if residential homeowners aren't buying because the interest rates have gone up, they need somewhere to live. So they're going to rent. That creates more demand, which then increases your rent. Which ah. is what, what is lead, this is what I'm saying. So what has happened has actually benefited landlords because it has pushed up demand, which has then pushed up rent, which has then helped with whether it's a single family unit or it's a yield based commercial valuation assessment that we're looking at. It, 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 it increases the value, it increases the cash flow and it increases the value. It's literally yeah. booming right now. Like you say, buy to lets, the single lets are all happening now, um, or like working again. Obviously, the house and multiple mm -hmm. occupancy, if you know what you're doing, you know, because obviously, if again, if people have, were scraping the barrel anyway, then you know, with slight increases, it's going to push all that out. Um, service accommodation is absolutely killing it because people want to travel and people yeah. are wanting to have these short stay lets and contractors. You know, which means that the agents are now killing it because houses are still selling, but rental market, they don't even have to do if any freaking work. Yeah. Like they're literally if you watch just, the news, like, you wouldn't post. believe the reality. I don't watch the news. I, watch, I look at the financial news and I look at industry news, but I don't watch the six o'clock news or 10 o'clock news. I haven't watched it for probably over 20 years. And whenever I have caught it, it's extremely depressing and miserable. Um, it, it's not reality. It's scaremongering um it, it, it's just it's inaccurate completely inaccurate to what is actually happening that's not to say it's all sprinkles and rainbows you know it is a tough market you have to know what you're doing you need to do your due diligence you need to get your knowledge get your professionals in place the people that you know that you can rely on that know what they're doing um and it's still a good business model it's just hard and i think what where is in lockdown it shouldn't have been as easy as it was it was very easy um, and I think now it's become tougher. So a lot of people were able to just not do as much homework. Things were, were going up exponentially it, as, as, as you were starting a bridge to when you were coming out of it. It was increasing despite the fact that the work had been done. So it, it, it's become harder now and that's because rates have gone up. So lenders are looking at risk more. So before the money was still cheap. So when the money is cheap, they tend not to look at risk as much. And as it becomes more expensive, like you got the letter about this no longer fits, you've got 12 months to leave. Um, the base rate plus 5% analogy I've, I've seen many times over, and I've seen a few people complain online about it. Um, it's pretty standard. I mean, now what you'll see is base rate plus two, or base rate plus one, because they'll have a threshold that they want to go. But most of these lenders don't have what's called a retention policy. So they will know after the two-year or five-year deal that you would go anywhere. So they, they, they automatically, sometimes they will set it to, to force you to go because they don't want you to say after a two or a five-year period, their business model is set up that you won't do 25 years with them unless you're at someone like one of, one of the major lenders. But they have like, a, it's just a non-retention policy. They have like a turnover of short-term that they prefer. Mm. And why is it's that? just the way that they've set up their funding lines it's their business model internally how how their back office works and what what their their business model is to get optimum profits that's just the way that they have decided to work there are some lenders that won't offer you a product transfer for example and then there are some that we, you can literally call up tmw you can call up and arrange a product transfer over the phone and it's done within about half an hour some want you to go through a broker and go to another lender they're all different mm.
Yeah. So what should people be looking out for, you know, when they're setting up, you know, projects these days? I know you do a lot in the, I know you do a lot of lending from, from going on a mm -hmm. bridge to, to then a term. So like, what do people need to be looking at to make sure the banks view them as a good, as a good, uh, you know, deal to work with? Doing your due diligence, having your, your bill costs ready, um, having them analysed properly. The documents that you get from the builder, I'm seeing more and more lenders. And to be fair, as a client, you should ask for this anyway. It's called a cash flow statement. And a cash flow statement is essentially the schedule of works put into a spreadsheet. And it will show you a timeline of when they expect jobs to be done. And as it goes across, each box has an, an amount in that relates to what they're going to charge. So that you can see at any one point within your build how much has physically been spent and how much has physically been done. So when you call for an inspection, it just it just makes it much tidier. Um, there's two types that you can operate with. One of them is scheduled payments, which most lenders don't like. And that's where a, um, a build cost will be split into equal payments, regardless of how much work's been done. And lenders don't work like that. They work in arrears with what's been completed. And the normal one, which would be a, an asset manager or a QS assessment, completed works they'll pay for. Um, having your cash flow statement shows that you've you've thoroughly thought through what cash is going to be needed at what point. Um, always make sure that you've got a deposit, whether it's 20%, 10% for the builder to start. Um, have your drawings ready. Um, and ju just basically have a well-researched team ready. You, your build team, are you having a project manager, who that project manager is? Um, th these are the main things, really. Lenders like the bridging lender with evaluation pack is it helps the surveyor. Uh, lenders aren't too bothered about them. But when you're doing the exit, I think evaluation pack does help the surveyor appreciate the work that you've done and the due diligence that you've done as an investor, especially into the area and why you chose that area, the demographics, the transport links, all these sort of things will go into that. And I think that's quite valuable. <laughs> John just said the cash flow statement never looks the same as at the end as it does at the beginning. What, what can <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, so what can people do so they don't start panicking? Because I know you work with a lot of people that don't panic. They've been mm -hmm. trained well in real life community. Uh, so like, what can people do like when things do change? You know, the timeline might slip a little bit. I think. Uh, I think might go from off. the. Yeah, I think from starting the application right through until you've finished the refinance, you have to be prepared to be able to adapt quickly. Uh, any business being able to adapt is is the secret to success, and it's it's no different within property. And property is varied. You'll often get a wild card. There'll be something that comes out that you weren't expecting. Um, extra work in the middle of a job, for example you didn't realize that i don't know that you had to go back to brick you thought you could manage with the existing plaster is is one that can come up um and it's having that contingency within your build that will cover that <coughs> or having your own floats in the background so you've got the money in the bank if, if they needed to do that um having the ability to accept that things are always going to change but try to find a solution you must keep moving forward you've just got to keep moving forward um because if you're in the middle of a bridge, you can't really stand still. You've got to keep going. And having a team that that supports you like that, the build team that supports you like that and is willing to work with you to come up with a different solution and can do it quickly is really key. 
Yeah. So I just want to talk about the mindset a little bit, but then, you know, let's back it up with some technical okay. uh, opinion because the mindset is there's a lot of people that have like a block around money. Yeah. As it is. And like, especially mm -hmm. British people, they don't talk about money very freely or very openly. Mm -hmm. So what's your advice to people that might not like, let's say things start to slip or they're not going away. You know, obviously people really need to be contacting and speaking to the banks or at least informing the broker who's speaking to the bank. Like, what's your advice around that to, to help people do that rather than procrastinate? Like you, said, like, like you said, communication, clear communication. This is what's happened. This is what we propose to do. This is how we're going to fix it. Um, I would, I generally, especially with new investors that are new to uh, bridge refinance development, um, I always help them with tranches anyway. So I'll ask them to send in the up-to-date schedule of works that will match the invoice. That then goes off to the QS, the QS completes the report and it comes back. And if there is a difference, I can usually see it straight away what, what hasn't actually been completed. Quickly to just go back to the builder, has this been done or hasn't it? Well, no, it hasn't, but we've bought the material. Well, <laughs> unless the material's on site and being fitted, you can't have the funds for it. It's just about communication because you don't want to upset your builder. Um, just like you're in the middle of the building, the lender, you just need to make sure that everything's clearly communicated. Yeah. Okay, cool. We've had a question here, it looks like on the YouTube, saying, is there any lenders that do an 80% LTV and 100% build cost? <clears throat> there are i think there's one that will go up to potentially is <clears throat> the issue that you have with the higher loan to value because they're going to give you a higher loan to value and a higher loan to gdb it's the, it's to do with the mechanics of the actual facility so if you were to look at a 70 percent loan to gdb product versus a 65 percent loan to gdb product when I've cost analysed these two transactions, the 65% deal is better because the 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 70% the extra 5% you're literally just giving back to the lender and then the cost on top of that. It makes no sense to do it whatsoever. So they are out there. My question to you would be, why would you want to leverage so much on a bridge? Because even though you're getting 65, 75, 70% day one, you have to then deduct the interest off that. So you're roughly going to need about 40% to purchase and then the rest of the works is funded and the interest is covered. If you're at 80%, you've got, you, you, you've got very little wriggle room. Mm, yeah, so if you can follow up on that question, the only name is coming up is C. Yeah, but uh, I'm assuming like wanting to leverage as much from the bank as possible means less kind of uh, private cash going into it. But I suppose that's going to just come down to knowing how to raise private finance, which a lot of people, Adele, are still. So I'm hoping you can bust the myth with your experience and your viewpoint from your position. Yeah, but they're still like, you can't do it. You must have your own money. You know, so what can you tell us about banks where they know that obviously people are raising money from other so places? So if you are, if you went to Birmingham Midshires or Precise or Fleet or any of the what I'd call an off-the-shelf buy-to-let lender, and I'd got money from Mark Harvey to buy this property, and we're not related, they wouldn't allow it because it's none of my own money has gone into the deal. But a bridging lender will accept it. 
and the commercial end lenders will accept it as well. The main thing you need to do is you need to make sure that you carry out proper AML checks, which is anti-money laundering checks. You need to check ID and you need to check the source of the funds. You don't want to be getting dragged into something, some kind of illegal activity because you haven't checked. And if you haven't checked, even though you didn't take part in the illegal activity, you are just as culpable and you would you could be prosecuted. So that's a really important thing. Lenders do, bridging lenders accept third party money all the time. The money would be subordinated behind the lender's charge so that the lender will have to be repaid first before your investor can be repaid. And something that has started to come up very recently is the length of your loan with your investor needs to be the same as, if not longer, than the loan with the bridging lender. And that's because the deed of subordination prevents them from being repaid whilst the bridge is in place. So if you've only got a six month loan. So that would you say that again? Anyway, right. That's that's all so that's almost a given. If the if the clause is they can't be paid, yeah. they've got to be paid back first. Obviously, the term I suppose but a lot of people don't realise. That's, so that's the back so that Sorry, I think there's a slight delay, but is there is that because, so? The, are the banks now doing the due diligence on how long is your loan or what is your loan agreement? It's always here? been there. It's it's only come up because the, the condition is within the deed of subordination. And sadly, Mark, most people don't read things when they're signing them. And when investors have now started to read through the deed, they've realised that they cannot be repaid. But they've only got a six month agreement. And what some investors will do is they'll take a six month and then they'll replace that with another six month to go for the 12 months for the lender. The lender won't allow that. It has to be their money has to stay in until they have been repaid. And people have maybe signed in the past and not realized because they haven't read the document. Yeah, yeah of course. Now, um, just going back to what you said before about the anti-money laundering, Obviously, the solicitors do this, right? I don't want I don't want people to just sit there like, oh my god, what so, have I got to do? As a limited company, <laughs> you should do it as well. A lot of people don't know that the anti-money laundering laws do apply to limited companies; they apply to businesses. So you can't um, take fifty thousand pound in cash off somebody and then put it into your bank account because you can't verify where that fifty thousand came from. It's the same, even though it's come from a bank account. You need to. There are, there are systems that you can sign up for that will verify somebody's ID to make sure that they're not a politically exposed person, for example. It verifies their ID and the proof of address, but it doesn't validate the funds. So you need evidence. So you need to see if it was a house sale, I need to see a completion statement and a bank statement showing the money going in. If it was a bonus, you need to see it on a pay slip. But what about what about if it's if the solicitor has done it though? Can that be like the business can pick you back? Often, yeah, but the solicitor wouldn't normally do it until the end. Whereas you have probably negotiated the funds before that point. I do it as part of my application process. <laughs> I upset. I Sometimes. upset some people because they, <laughs> some people they're not aware of it. Um, they just get a little bit uncomfortable with it. But it's a legal requirement. You've got to. You've got to do it. Yeah, I mean, we've had many situations where we were advised not to exchange yeah. because we didn't have the bank's approval. Uh, but but we were, we didn't have to do it, but we <laughs> yeah, chose that, to do it, and then the money comes that's after. That's not to do with verifying um, the lenders, um, sorry, the, the, your investors' funds. That's to do with 
they haven't quite signed off the offer. I mean, it's 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 perfectly within your rights to exchange. You don't always need the lender's clearance. The lender will say, if you want to exchange, it's at your risk. And that often happens because you need to secure the sale. Here's a great question. Yeah, I don't know how to phrase this question, although it's been phrased as, can the funds be used, gained from cryptocurrency? So basically, can people cash in their crypto and then say, here's the cash? I've only done it once. Um, and it's it's really down to whether or not the lender accept it. Yeah. Okay. And we've got a follow-up from uh, our previous question on the loan to value. So it's just to reduce the initial upfront capital required. So I think it was potentially allowing me to get into bigger deals. Yeah, so great question. I don't know your full name here. You so, maybe you can let us know in the comments what your full name is. It's coming up as C. But thing, uh, yeah, I know you want to answer it. For yeah, the thing with that question is they have started to bring in what's called loan to cost. So you've always been aware of loan to loan to value and loan to GDV. Loan to cost is something that used to really only apply to ground up, but they've started to bring it into refurb now. And what loan to cost means is the purchase price plus the costs cannot exceed 85% of the loan. So at 80% day one, and 100% of the bill cost, you will probably be at about 100% of the, it, it, it would be too high. They wouldn't allow you to do it. So that loan to, loan to cost um, assessment that they've brought in has started to bring loan, loan values down. So. <laughs> yeah, but again, that, that's when someone's not knowing how to raise the private finance side. So uh, C or whatever your name is on here, I would suggest go to the Mark Harvey YouTube channel and watch the series Transformational Tuesday because you'll see a load of people who have raised over a million pounds in private finance. Many people have raised two, three, even up to seven million pounds private and then they get the rest for the bank. So we've had people who have built a 20 million pound portfolio. Uh, using other people's money if somebody's done a 27 million pound portfolio and he's raised three million pound of private finance so if you go watch those videos that'll give you a better idea of how you can actually structure not just the deal but also a portfolio because it's and this is what used to stop people getting in the game and i don't know if you've seen it change over the years Adele, but what used to stop people getting in the game is the fact that either they thought they needed their own money or at some point i mean i Obviously, I wasn't around 20 years ago doing this game. Yeah, so I don't know what it was like back then. But if you needed your own money, I could see it be a big blocker. And I used to think you needed your own money. And when I realized that you didn't, that's when the whole game changed. So, yes, you can raise 70%, 80%, get the whole. Because uh, I tell you, I don't, Adele, are you still doing this? I mean, a lot of the time we're using development funding now. But like, are you still doing it where the bridge loan will pay for a certain percentage of the building? But then investor money is used for you know like the deposit and then the and then the and then the build. Are you still doing some that way around as well? Um, very few. It's it's not it not often. The only time we would do something like that is if there is a um, a short window. So I'll give you an example. If you were to if you had a hundred thousand purchase price, but you had twenty five thousand pounds worth of bill costs, I wouldn't use a development facility for that because it's not worth the tranches. So I'd look at a bridging lender that would allow eighty five percent growth. So there are ones that go up to that value, but they won't give you the bill costs. So that's slightly different. You can't have yeah. both. And by you would then yeah, end up yeah, with seventy five percent net, and then you would have to pay for the rest yourself. There's not a lot though. Probably maybe five ten percent of what we do is is on that basis. 
Yeah, so I think it does come down to raising money. I mean, because people, some of the people that we're training here and we've trained, they're getting investor money at like five and six percent. Yeah. You know, and, and we're talking into the hundreds of thousands. So obviously with a bridge loan costing, well, what's the bridge loan rates that you're getting these days? One to 1.25, about one to 1.25 a month. A month. So you're looking at 12 to 15%. Yeah, exactly. So, and so someone who... Yeah, it does, it, it does depend yeah, on basically, if, if your so investor if you get, wants a first see, charge though, or if they don't want a first charge. And so it changes the, the structure. The one thing that we do do is that we look at a deal, I'll, I'll cost analyze it and tell you which is the most cost effective way to do it. And if it's investor finance and you've got it at 5%, then clearly that is the better way to do it. Some people, though, at the beginning, Mark, they need they need the support yeah, of the lenders because yeah, that... you've got QS going out and they're assessing things. And that's that's quite important that you've got another set of eyes uh, looking at the build and that, that they're monitoring and making sure that it's happening. Um, there's, there's quite a big advantage to that. Yes. There is. We started the other way around, though. We didn't start doing that till later. We must have done near on 20 projects where, like, we were just doing that thing that they say you don't like, which is, like, okay, the bill cost is 100, 25, 25, 25, 25. Yeah, but we soon figured that that's dangerous, you know, not... Uh, and, and by the way, mostly for the builder, it's dangerous yeah. because then they can't... Like, like, like. Okay, if you split it, split it. But now, all of a sudden, all the rip out, all the structural, all the materials have got to be brought. But like, you're only still getting yeah. so much. You know, twenty five k. Spent fifty k on it. Then that's when it can be a problem. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's you due know, diligence so... on your build team as well. You need to really sort of understand. There is quite a lot to understand. There's loads. It's a, it's a whole new world. And then there's another couple of worlds behind that as well. There is a lot to understand about it. And I do think that there's a big advantage to using a lender because you have got that knowledge behind you and especially your broker, obviously, yeah. I would say that. Do, so we've got another question. Do banks give development finance without the bridge? For example, if you buy the property 100% with investor finance, do they, do they then give you the... As long as the cost, investor doesn't have first charge, then yeah, you could have 100% bill costs and no, no, what we call day one, which is what you'd use to purchase. As long as the lender can have first charge, then yes, you can do that yeah brilliant yeah so i suppose just going back to what you said before about having the qs come out one of the amazing things is that um there obviously you're only paying for work that actually has been done and, and actually yeah. being signed off which keeps almost the project almost on like rails yeah, yeah so it is it is very useful yeah to do that but i tell you one of the other things adele is like it can make people lazy to be able to be tracking the project themselves. Yeah. Because, you know, we've just been working on a job where the QS has been there all the way along, but then the builder couldn't finish the project. And now another builders come in and the money that's left to pay is more than the money that's left. Yeah. And is so, that because there was a difference between the second builder and the first builder? Uh, well, you mean the so price? Pay, so if yeah, Obviously. so if if the if the second builder had a price from day one, his figure would have been higher than the first to begin with. So there's a shortfall, isn't there? Possibly, or what my understanding is, and this is what I mean because I understand it, and, and I'm saying if you only use the QS method, it can get lazy, and you won't know how to track it yourself. My understanding is, yeah, it's it's been, although a QS is coming out, it's been heavily loaded always pushing how much to get signed off so now when you get to the last payment 
there ain't enough money left to actually pay everyone to finish the job if that's making sense but that, that, yeah that it, but if you've used a cash flow statement which i know this job and if you followed the cash flow statement unless there'd been any um amendments you know like where they've added different things in i don't know they want brass taps instead of black taps or whatever the finish is different it, the the second builder's job would have been more expensive but this is why a cash flow statement really helps you because it does help you track and you can spot straight away what is different well that invoice is 10k higher than what it should have been as per this statement oh we've used black taps not not stainless steel that's where the difference is you can see it straight away um yeah with That's with changing a build team I, I think as well when you change a build team you're asking the second team to take over from the first without knowing fully what they've done from the start so there is going to be a premium to do that in the first place they're going to want more than have they've started from the beginning because they're inheriting somebody else's um build aren't they there could be something wrong yeah. in there that they're not aware of <laughs> There's no one situation that's ever going to be the same as the other. But my point I want everyone to understand here is listening is, yes, have a QS come out who's going to do the development, you know, for finance and all the rest of it. But it, the, one of the side effects of that is it can create laziness mm -hmm. of not tracking it yourself. Yeah. And I just want people to be aware of that. Here's another question. Does it work in your favor with the lenders? if you do more than one deal at a time? <coughs> Not really. Um, <coughs> it helps, it creates trust that they become used to you as a client, then it is how you operate, they get used to you delivering. But doing more than one in any one go, you won't get a discount on the fees, for example, they wouldn't um, reduce the rate. The market is so competitive in that there is a lot of work and the cost of funds is is at an all-time high for them they wouldn't discount the bridging market's changed quite a lot even though rates haven't so a lot of the other lenders have started to disappear so it's becoming a smaller market so they don't have to fight as much brilliant well i suppose i don't know if this was ryan's question but i want to tag on to that question is what happens if banks do start to see, or, you know, you're starting multiple projects, are they still gonna, as long as the deals are stacking, are they still gonna, you know, follow yeah. through the lending or, or does it become a point where they say, hold on, many I think as long as you've in. got the cash flow and you've got the cash to cover each job as it starts, they're, they're generally okay with it. I think my question to you as, as a broker would be, yeah. do you have enough to cover this? Um, are you able to see all these through with with what you've got in the bank plus the lending are you are you happy to do that it's a lot of work i have got clients that have got four in i've done more than that for one client before and it is it is doable it's a lot of work though of course but it's good fun it is, isn't yeah. it yeah Cool. Any other questions that you guys have got who are watching it live, put a hashtag live and ask your question. If you're watching this on the replay, put a hashtag replay. So if there's any questions that you've asked, then we'll know to somehow get back to you. Yeah. If you want to be in with a chance of winning some goodies at the end of this, we've got some merchandise coming your way, then share it on whatever platform you're watching. Uh, let us know that you've shared it so we so we, it's easier to find you and put you in the prize draw. And but you've also got to tag at least 10 people. Yeah, that way you go into the prize draw and then the team will be contacting the person who is the winner 
uh, so you can select what you want and we'll send it you in time for Christmas. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Yeah, so as we start to wrap this up, because I know you're going into our private mastermind for the Real Life Tribe community, Adele. So as we start to wrap this podcast up, what would your top tips be for people? Let's start with, let's start with the people who are, who want to get started. You know, they're not already in this game, but they're like, yep, yeah, want to get started. What's your top tips? Um, do research, connect with people who can help you understand the process, help you understand the world of finance, the legals, the bills, um, do your due diligence, make sure you stress your numbers, make sure that you've understood you've got a plan A, B and C, um, a worst case, middle and best. Um, and as long as you're operating within that, um, and be prepared to adapt. Be prepared for it not to turn out as you planned. It'll still be a success, but it might be different. Well, most likely will be. <laughs> Thank you. Good. And so then what's your tips for people that may have been in the game a while ago, but over the last few years have kind of retreated a little bit? What would what would your advice be to these people? Um, come back in the waters, lovely. That's <laughs> what I'd say. <laughs> there's loads of activity nice and simple. Nice and simple. there's loads of activity there's a lot of opportunity good good and then last set of people i suppose what about the people that want to go big go large want to play a big game what's your advice to these why. guys what, what what's your main reason what's the main driver for you to um go bigger are you prepared for you don't automatically double the profit and the value just by doubling the size of what it is that you're doing you need to really drill into the numbers more because bigger numbers becomes way riskier there's nothing wrong with small and staying at that level some people want to scale up but the main reason would be the main question would be why what's your main reason for doing that and this is actually the reality yeah. the people who, yeah not the people who want to do like bigger deals as such but maybe they want to do yeah. more of what they're doing just in some way, shape, or they want to up their game. What would your tip? Okay, so your first question would be like, why you want to do that? And obviously, I can't answer that. But yeah, there's pe people want more money. Yeah, they want I mean, to have I, more freedom. I, they want to create a bigger legacy. They want to have a bigger. I, I generally look at what it is that they're trying to create. Again, why are you looking for? I don't know, net cash flow of five k a month or ten k a month or twenty k a month, and then work out a strategy. So as as I'm sure you all, you mindset people know where do you want to be that's your goal and then we've got to work out a plan backwards reverse engineer it and then start at the beginning and if it is to have an unencumbered portfolio within 25 years for example worth 10 million quid or you know you 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 come up with the end game and then we can work it backwards to work out a strategy for that nice love it so probably one uh, last chance to just get this last question in is there any difference to the banking process and interest rates on development finance once the bill work goes over a million um yes and that's because you wouldn't necessarily use a bridging lender for that you would be looking towards what's called senior debt which is actually what development finance is the kind of finance that we use in this sector would be um a, a refurb bridge it's run by a bridging lender senior debt is run by the bigger lenders and they'd look for a minimum debt size of a million pounds the assessments that go into that take much longer and yeah it's a very drawn out process you would probably need your own in-house qs not just the lenders and those two people would meet each other every month 
sometimes every week. Um, it's a lot more complex. It's doable. It's doable, but you you, you need to have a lot more track nice. record to do that. Nice. Good, I like it. And and I've got to ask this question. I like this question. And I want to know the answer myself. So Ryan's saying, is there a limit to the amount of private investors you can have on one deal? So for example, if 100K is coming from 10 or 20 people. Um, there is no limit, but the issue that you're going to have is your legal fees are going to go through the roof with 10 different deeds of subordination, 10 different bits of ILA, 10 different, it, it, it'll just blow with, with the legal costs. So you can do it if you desperately have to, but you have to bear in mind it, the legals will go up. Nope. So is there a way to consolidate it? No, because you have to it? trace the funds back to the original source. So some people have put um, almost like a, a company in the middle. So you lend to what all the investors lend to one company, and then that company lends to the company that's buying. But you just track the source of funds back, and it's back to the original source. So it, all you've just just done is added another deed of subordination, and because the the lender, the the middle company now needs to do it. So there's no way around it. You, if you desperately need to do that and you've got no choice, then it's doable. But be prepared for high legal costs. You know what it reminds me of is when I was a kid at school and we used to do a sponsored <laughs> walk and I used to have to go around. 50 pence. Like two, two, <laughs> yeah, that's how I used to go with sponsor money. But anyway, fantastic. We need to give our, our, our people a little bit of a break and you a little bit of a break before the next mastermind, which starts at eight o'clock. Uh, so great job, everyone listening here. Um, always great to have you on Adele. I'm sure we'll have you on again as uh, the market always continues to be like the water, which is coming in waves and we just learn how to surf. That's what we do. Yeah, that's what we do. So anyone else got questions? I see some real life tribe members just in the mastermind and Adele can, now she can say what she, whatever she feels like saying because we ain't live <laughs> in the mainstream. Now she can tell you what she wants. That's what we'll be doing. Adele, thanks for coming on. I'm, I Thank wonder you. if you know our tagline you know our tagline? We we have a saying that says you've got to do the right thing for the right reason. Do you know why we yeah. say that? Why? Go on. Because it's the I right thing to don't do. No, then. <laughs> well, yeah, that. And it's the way to discover true potential. Thanks for coming on. We'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.